3: Hello and welcome back to Generation Skywalker, you're listening to the Diecast part two. If anyone's been following the Diecast, it's a six part series where we look at a different different diecast area of collecting each time and this time we are looking at the micro collection and I'm delighted to welcome a special guest to uh, go through this with me, uh, it's Josh Blake. Good evening Josh. Good evening, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for uh, joining us on this because I'm um, trying to find guests for these things and uh, A bit of an expert in the field is is quite difficult, so uh, (laughs) it makes uh, our life a lot easier.
0: I I became an expert only by default. Uh, (laughs) Nobody really collected the line uh, early on, and uh, I guess I was lucky.
3: (laughs) Do you collect all sorts of vintage Star Wars, or is it the micro-collection your main area?
0: The micro-collection was just something that I was doing because... I was interested in some of the the pre-production aspects of it. That kind of came later on. I I collect all vintage. I started with three and three quarter inch uh, like most, but I actually had micro collection as a kid. When I started back to collecting um, seriously in the the 1990s, I was just sort of getting just anything I could get my hands on at that time. This was pre-Ebay years so the micro collection always kind of held a special place so uh i but i i love three and three quarter just the same it just so happens that micro kind of takes up the most shelf space for me and has seems to have i I pay more attention to the the pre-production with micro than any other line
3: yeah we're going to get on to pre-production a bit later on but it is something that's quite um. You see quite a lot of it come up, don't you?
0: Yeah, it, it, it's it's always been readily available. It seems that the the, the, pe- the guys that that are really into the three and three quarter inch stuff, the micro, if they've got something that's you know a high grade value, uh, the, they're willing to hawk those items first to make you know make way for the three and three quarter inch items or whatever sort of goes with their character focus. It kind of jumps around quite a bit, which is kind of unfortunate because a lot of this stuff has, has garnered a lot of shelfware over time. It's jumped from one collection to another. So finding really good examples these days is, is becoming a little bit more challenging. But yeah, the, it's just, it just wasn't something that took off. So there's not a whole lot of people that are really into it. I would say today there's more collectors that are interested than there ever was. 20 years ago, no one wanted this stuff.
3: Crazy. I, it's it's a set that I, I keep meaning to dip into. Um, I always like the fact that all the packaging is quite uniform. You know, if you get the whole run, yeah. it's all balanced together. I think it always makes it look a, like a really nice setup. Now, you just mentioned that you remember the micro collection from when you were young. Obviously, it didn't last very long. How how long was it available?
0: Well, it really was only uh, available at retail for about six months, and most of it just sat on shelves. Uh, that's that's at least how I was introduced to it. You know, you go to the Toys R Us or KB Toys, that was always the discounted Star Wars items. So they, they ceased production on the line January the 5th, 1983. So everything that was in, in pre-production at that point was ceased, and everything that was retailed, the orders stopped. So all of the order numbers that, that we have from you know, internal Kenner paperwork, we don't know that they actually produced that many uh, items, and I'll just give you just a really quick idea of what they were estimating. That first year, they were looking at about three hundred thousand for some of the smaller sets. It was kind of a, a test in the beginning, but they it was also something that they had put a tremendous amount of time and effort and money into because they really thought they had a home run i'm always
3: quite surprised that it it wasn't as successful
0: well it was just ahead of its time i i I think at at that point i I think the reason that they really thought that that they they had a home run on their hands was because of the uh the interest in of that time the dungeons and dragons figures that were made of zinc and lead and uh and i mean i i didn't know any different when i was a kid it was it was something that was cheap I liked miniature items. I liked the, the idea that it was more realistic in a lot of ways than the three and three-quarter inch, and that's arguable. <laughs> but uh, to me, just having like a whole place set I thought was, was fantastic. It was a great idea, and especially from a marketing standpoint. I mean, what, what better way to market something than to say, well, buy this one, but then you got to buy this one and buy this one, and then they all work together. Uh, it's like, well, then i got to have all three now you know i got this one now you know hopefully here in a few weeks i can get the other and so i thought it was, it was a beautifully made line uh they they had high hopes for it and especially the the folks at, at kenner that were producing it they certainly they enjoyed working on it. they they really thought that they had a home run on their hands so that unfortunately wasn't the case now i've always been
3: quite surprised like you just said the dungeons and dragons and uh, those kind of figures I, I can remember growing up with my brother and my cousins who are eight nine years older than me and then been heavily into that and obviously late 80s early 90s the micro machines were were massively popular line as well so yes yeah. um, it yeah, was i work. mean
0: it's been said several times over it was just it was so ahead of its time collectors weren't thinking of it in that way at that that point um i'm sure most of us remember you know in the the early 80s you know, we had parents that were budget conscious. So if they've already, you know, spent so much money on the three and three quarter inch stuff, the last thing they want is, oh, there's more stuff you've got to collect. And this is a whole new line. So that argument's been posed as well. But I think that the whole notion of them creating a line that was meant to be a collectible also kind of worked against it. At least that's the way that it was reported with uh, some of the 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 kenner folks uh that howard bollinger was was uh said to have come up with the concept and uh that it was meant to be in the very beginning a collectible series so i don't know i mean i i, I wish that it, they had just let it go another six months we could have seen you know more sets that that went with the 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 current set or even just the return of the jedi and see where that would have gone and maybe it would have been a little bit more successful but i just don't think the timing was right i
3: totally get that I know you just said it was, it was discounted in the likes of Toys R Us and KB, but
0: was it available everywhere? Was it something you saw regularly? You usually saw the same sets over and over. I, I mean, I can only speak from my, myself, my own personal experience. I was actively seeking some of these items. I never uh, could find any of the vehicles. There were two of them that, that were exclusives, one for Sears, which was the Falcon, and the uh, Snowspeeder, which was Penney, and those were only available at Christmas uh, during 1982, at least exclusive during Christmas of 82, and then thereafter, anyone could any any other department store could place an order for those those particular vehicles. I don't know if that was just an idea they had to, to drum up some business or what, but I, I the orders pretty much stopped right around Christmas of 82, and they were just now rolling out some of these items, um, and they weren't going anywhere. It's, it's kind of hard to gauge distribution channels at that point, especially when it's going from one country to another, which I know you want to uh, touch on here in a few minutes, but we don't really know how many numbers were actually produced. At what point did they realize, that well, this is just, where were they January, uh, first week of January, 1983, in production with the items that were already produced? We don't, we don't really know. No. But as far as like finding some of these items, you usually saw the same ones over and over again. And uh, at least that was my experience. But uh, I remember seeing d- just dozens of the uh, the Bespin Gantry play sets and the Wampa Caves and the Freeze Chambers. And I think every now and then I'd see uh, some Ion Cannons. But uh, it was it seemed more difficult to find the, the Death Star play sets, at least for me. And uh, and again, the vehicles. So those are always a, a challenge to find. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I, like we were
3: touching, that the UK didn't have these. But if things do come up for sale, I, I, the one, the two things I do see all the time over here for sale is the Wampa cave and the Ion cannon, which okay, yeah. <laughs> kind of uh, goes uh, hand in hand with that. And uh, I've hardly seen any of the Death Star stuff for sale over here. So perhaps there is a uh, less produce on that.
0: Sure. Finding them in good condition, that's a whole nother argument. You know, I mean it try that you can find these if you just want them loose and, and assembling a, an entire set, you could do that with relative ease. If you want to find them boxed and you want mint examples, it's gonna take I in some case especially if you there's there's multiple variations as well. If you get into that, you know, some I mean there's there's an X-Wing fighter that I'm looking for. There's, there's actually two. One, uh, th- which is an Australian release, and then one that uh, is the uh, special offer uh, giveaway with the, the sticker on the front with the large burst. I've been looking for that for 12 years. So, And I, I would take these in any condition. So it really, it just depends on what you're after. If you're just looking for certain examples, that's going to keep you busy for a while. If you're looking for any example, but in good condition, that's, it's still that you're talking two two totally different. And it's this way with three and three quarter inch. I mean, you know, you've got, you've got items, three packs and, and items like that, where guys are like, I'll just take whatever is available. And then you've got other guys are like, well, I'm going to hold out for an AFA. 85. Well, that, that might take some time.
3: So you, you've just mentioned Australia there. How many countries were, were these
0: actually readily available in? Just Canada and Australia, other than the United States. Both of those countries were doing, uh, they had their own boxed versions. I'm not really an expert when it comes to the foreign stuff that Robbie Mantea has done extensive uh, research on all of those different examples. Really, my only contribution to all of that is just noticing all of the those sets and vehicles look different well it it was mainly because they were i I believe that they were manufacturing those in different uh from different vendors other than the united states at that time or or the vendors that the united states was was utilizing the resin looks different shades darker and it's it's almost it's it's relatively noticeable even the decals look different so now whether or not that you know like for instance Irwin toys was doing that up in canada i I really don't know i have a theory that that that's probably what was happening i just know that in both of those uh countries the numbers were significantly lower than the united states and and even friends who've who grew up uh up in canada and friends that grew up in australia uh, they'll both tell you that finding really you know anything from those those specific uh Country of origins is is somewhat difficult the, in the micro collection. Is not exclusive to that.
3: When it comes to the packaging, I know you mentioned uh, yes. special stickers. How yeah. is that? How you determine the difference between them?
0: Yeah, so uh, probably one of the the more interesting, in my opinion, uh, is the Canadian version because it has uh, French titles as well as uh, English titles. In Australia, the mail away has the Australian address on the back, and for all of the, if anybody's not really familiar with the packaging of the micro-collection, there's several of them that have the flap on the back, like the Wampa Caves and the Bespin Gantry that we had discussed. Those, in, in Australia, they actually had a hole punched through the top, so that's one of the distinguishable differences between the U.S. version versus Australian, so, but those those examples look very similar to those really in the United States, with the exception of that address. I think it's like Alexandria uh, or, or Melbourne, one of those over in, uh, in Australia. So <laughs> forgive me if I got that address wrong. It's been a, a long time since I've looked at that. and Like I said, I, I'm, I'm not exactly the expert when it comes to the foreign examples, but I do enjoy them and appreciate them. They're very, very hard to find in any condition. So if you find them or if you find an X-wing, send it my way. you say
3: they're difficult to find is it the chances are that they still had just the standard kenner boxes over there
0: exactly i mean finding a loose example isn't very difficult uh although there is a a certain you know i I would say a a good amount of interest for the the uh, australian millennium falcon because it actually has different molding Um, they didn't paint the cockpit and then the, the cockpit ramp actually has a staircase rather than sort of a platform i don't know if you're that familiar with the U.S. version, but it the cockpit platform just sort of extends out into the toy, and um, somebody had the creative instinct to change the molding when it, it was released in Australia, and it actually has a staircase. So, um, and you know, the aside from the difference in the the appearance of the the resin and the, the decals, they always kind of look faded. It's it's basically the same toy, but um, but the packaging, without question. With the micro-collection, you could literally sell the, just the boxes without the toys for probably just as much, even if it had the toy in it, yeah, right. in, in any condition. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the, the Australian X-Wings that I was offered, this had to have been 10 years ago. It had a, a huge rip in the back, and it led all the way up to the proof of purchase, which was cut out. And I foolishly said, no, nah, I'll just wait for another example. And they're like, are you sure? I don't know that another example is gonna that's the last one I've seen come up. Very, very difficult to find. Again, if you if you can get your hands on it and you uh you collect the line, kudos, uh, because you, you you know, you've got a rare piece. If you're not into micro, send it my way. In a
3: minute we're gonna go through the we're gonna take a look through the um pieces that were produced and released. Uh, just before we get to that, now you're one of the admins over on the Facebook group. Hopefully I get this right. Kenneth, Star Wars Micro Collection and Diecast? Yeah. I've Which... gotten
0: that title wrong several times myself, even <laughs> though I, I I was sort of the architect of that group. So,
3: <laughs> the group's pretty active, isn't it? So there seems to be some great knowledge on there. I had a, had a flick there's through
0: some, it and uh... there's some good knowledge, and there the it's it's kind of picked up a little bit over the years, but it's not it's not been nearly as active as some of the other main pages. Uh, I would say, especially those were super hot. You know, five six years ago. It's always been a little bit more tame, a little bit more quiet. Uh, you know, it's it's comfortable. It's fairly active. Yeah, I, th- I
3: think it's quite a nice group, and um, it does seem to be uh, stuff going on every day over there. So uh, do go and check that out. Just want to know. I know. I know. There's um, customs when it comes to micro collection, but is there a a reproduction issue within it? Especially since 3D printing's maybe come around.
0: I know. In recent, you're probably referring to there was a uh, a run of. Of the uh, Bestman torture chamber play sets that have come up, I actually offered some back to chambers several years back. I don't know if you rem- if if you remember the the rebel scum days. That was kind of like the yeah. where where all the collectors you know uh, congregated before Facebook took off and those groups. So I was offering it over there. I, I would. With, with the micro collection, customs have gone on really since the 90s. 3D printing, that's just sort of the latest craze, uh, which I've seen a lot of those samples. And, and I, could, I could tell you, there's really no mistaking something that's 3D printed versus something that's uh, injected resin or made from pre production materials that they used at Kenner, styrene, uh, hand painted items. Those those have a very distinct appearance to them um, that that wouldn't be confused. I think it's some of the new stuff that's coming out as fun. I mean, I, I I'll say I'm neither for or against it. I'm kind of in the middle on some of those issues. There's other issues that I think are a lot more uh, dangerous to the hobby, and in a lot of cases now. And this isn't really knocking some of that, that the work that uh, the workmanship that's gone into you know 3D printed. Set, but because of the limited knowledge about how some of these place sets actually functioned, uh, that's that's been made available. That's on sort of a you know a public domain forum. I can say that they don't have the same features. <laughs> if if they did, that would be a little bit more of a dicey situation. And and what I mean by that is I, I know how each and every one of these place sets work, and I know the ones that are being reproduced or not. They don't have those same features. The actual items have a tremendous amount of features that were included and um uh, you know if somebody wanted like for instance, when I made the, the back to chamber they were it was just basically a stagnant model that just you could put your figures on you know and display it and I thought it was you know kind of neat. How far back did you want to go as far as customs custom we could go way back into the nineties with reproduction four ups all the way through reproduction one to one figures it's it, was- it seems to be a line that's there's a lot of interest in customizing micro collection for some reason.
3: I, I get the customs. I get the back to chamber. I get the torture chambers. Sure. They weren't produced, and um, they're nice. They're nice things to to see being customed. I don't. I don't think there's ever ever um, really a, an issue with those kind of things. Right. It's when it's when people try to reproduce the um, the toys. But in the nineties, you you just mentioned the four ups. There was a a bit oh, of a scandal. Of back there, guys.
0: Yeah basement bounty hunter guys that 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 was a group from Cincinnati uh and and really what why I thought that that was kind of a a shady operation is when they first started they were not they they weren't listing these things or trying to sell them as customs they were they were painting these items up and kind of pretending that this is um well I don't know what this is but I'm here in Cincinnati and I picked it up in a in a toy collection, it's like, sure you did. Um, and then, you know, I know a lot of collectors who ended up buying some of those examples and then they did the scratch test and were like, dude, this, they never, Kenner never used a purple resin. They never used this resin or the, you know, this paint's wrong. And then the attitude with some of the, because they were actually members of the, the local collecting club here that, in the very early days of the, Star, the uh, Ohio Star Wars Collecting Club. Their attitude about it was kind of like, "Oh, you got us," but we've got all these customs, and now you know they went from four hundred and fifty dollars to ten bucks per four up, uh, and you could get any color resin that you wanted. So that would have been fine coming out of the gate. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of strange that there's actually a market for those items now. At the time, I, I, th- I think a lot of, especially hardcore collectors, purists, they had a hard time. And rightfully so, a real hard time accepting that that, that actually has a place in the hobby uh, because there are genuine Blue Harvest 4-ups that were cast in the original molds that look identical to the Basement boundary. that really the only—you uh, have to have a real sharp eye to pick up on— um, the parting lines, and you got to know what to look for. And the, maybe the base isn't sanded properly or it's not thick enough. Uh, and, and every time that they were casting these guys, they, they were doing it in, in molds that they had created themselves from genuine examples. So there's a, a 5% uh, ratio loss with the, uh, the size of the four ups. So it was never the same size as a, a genuine example or a Blue Harvest. But an unsuspecting collector wouldn't even know that. Uh, I mean, I've there. Are, I, I had several pieces in my uh, collection at one point that uh, it, they were kind of questionable. It's like I don't know if this is Blue Harvest or if this is uh, based on Bounty Hunters piece, and I, I had to do you know quite a bit of research to to figure it out. And, and most of the time, you just have to get a, a real example. So you got to be real careful with some of that. So especially now, in those days it wasn't as big of an issue uh, because th- there just wasn't very many people that were interested in micro collection in general. Some guys just completely stayed away from it. It was probably a good idea, but we at at one point or another, all of us were, were kind of guilty in, in being involved in some form or fashion of customs because we love this stuff. We, we like, we like to see this stuff displayed and that's, that's kind of the, the and it, but it sucks the joy out of it when, Somebody has come along and, and they're creating something that you, is just not right. And it's, it's, it's meant to uh, to fool the unsuspecting eye just for a profit. You, you just mentioned
3: you could go right back. Has, has there been other scandals in relation to micro-collection then?
0: Uh, probably the, the biggest uh, in recent years uh, was there was a... Um, I'm not going to say his name because I don't want to, I don't know where that lawsuit is or if it's ever going to go anywhere. But there there, there has been some attempts at making, which we've affectionately referred to now as the green harvest because they went through the blue harvest, which was uh, former Kenner employees that were casting these, uh, these items uh, within Kenner walls. And then it became green harvest, which was, uh, it was an amalgamation of, Several different molds. Some were production molds. Some were recast uh, molds from uh, authentic pieces, and it was a modern DynaCast, which I guess you can still purchase. But this has more of a teal uh, appearance to it, so it's not. And you can tell the difference between um, true DynaCast that was vintage versus the the new under a black light. The uh, the the uh, old DynaCast glows in sort of a yellowish tone while the the new is just sort of kind of turns a, a real dark blue but yeah that uh that kind of got i don't want to say overlooked it, it, it didn't go very far i don't think there were too many i was one of the people that actually got i got scammed out of a, a couple of pieces that i'd purchased uh, and they swore up and down that they were authentic uh but i think that the the biggest issue with all of that that was Uh, the three and three quarter inch that went alongside all of that because it was coming from some of the same sources. And, and I say sources because we, we really, we only suspect that they were working together, but we do know that it was coming from like probably two different individuals. One was a former Kinder employee and the other was an actual collector. So those that was kind of the, the scandal that, that rocked the collecting community. And when that happened, there, there was more three and three quarter inch that had been faked than there was uh, the the micro so for quite a niche area of
3: of the hobby <laughs> it's it's had its uh... had his scandals then and uh
0: Uh, it's had several yeah i I don't know if you um i'm I'm sure some of the listeners would frequent the uh i think the kive cast and ron salvatore kind of goes through some of the the older scandals that that are pretty humorous the virginia jarvis brooks that that whole scandal and i'm not going to try and retell it He, he, he he tells that story so eloquently and and it's actually pretty funny um but i I can't reference which episode that is, but it's it it's worth checking out looking into so
3: just before we move on to the pieces then you've mentioned four up a couple of times, just for our listeners and people that might not know what what you're talking about when you mention four up Can yeah. you just give us a an understanding of that
0: yeah a a four up is is basically the um well, what we're referring to is the hard copy of the original sculpting and uh, in order to capture the the kind of detail that they wanted for the the figures, once that they were cast in zinc, they sculpted these things four times that original size. So the hard copies that they had generated that's kind of like the creme de la creme on, in the in terms of micro collecting. If you can acquire uh, four ups, you know that's that's it's kind of a uh, it's a very unique. Uh, item to find, and they're very scarce these days. Of course, the really the the goal of, of of any hardcore collector would be to have an entire run. And in those days, at least when when I had started out, a run was consisted of finding the actual mold that they cast the the urethane hard copy into to produce the uh, the four up and the original sculpting if it still survived, and then a paint master. So the paint master was, again, a four up and it was used for um, basically so that they would decorate it exactly like they had intended to paint the one to one scale figures. So it was it was basically used for reference once that that uh, moved into production to the vendor and then they had color codes that they would use that they would send over and swatches. Uh, swatch codes that they would use based off of those original colors that uh, the model shop had designated per figure. Um, so that's basically it. You, you, the four up. It's just a giant micro figure that's made of a Dynacast, that uh, the old green urethane material. Brilliant. Perfect explanation. Now we're going to go through the
3: pieces that were produced. One thing I always like about the micro collection is each set that they there is a lot of playability in a set there's a lot that they do isn't there so i'd like you to take us through that kind of what, what kind of the cost would be and rarity or anything else that you can think of and figures that came with each set if you've uh, if you've got that in your mind <laughs> obviously there's well there's, there's
0: quite a few <laughs> yeah so uh
3: so we're going to start with um the death star compactor you've already said about death star
0: being hard to find
3: can you take us through the,
0: the compactor sure uh in my opinion that's that's probably one of the the um most clever play sets of the entire it, it's 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 very difficult i mean it's a toss up between that and the freeze chamber I thought that the the freeze chamber was a that was a really neat feature that it but the the compactor play set man it just they packed in so many. Screen what I feel is for the time, especially was screen accurate features to that place. At the spring loaded blast door, and uh, it had a, a little escape hatch that went down the, the prison uh, hallway. Uh, I mean, it basically they, they nailed that entire sequence. The the control room, and then you know you it, it came with uh, some foam for the the actual compactor portion, and the figures could go through the chute down into the actual compactor and then when you compress that the uh the trash it uh it pops the door open for the escape and i i just think that it's for all of that in one place that i think is just brilliant so uh and then that's that's got some of the more memorable uh, figures to it as well this was actually the only time in the entire for the duration of the vintage line that we actually got a han solo in stormtrooper disguise was never released any, any other place until, I guess, 1995 when the, the, the line was reintroduced. So you had both um, both Luke and Han in their uh, Stormtrooper disguises, and you got another pose of Darth Vader. And then, of course, uh, this is the only appearance of Ben Kenobi uh, in the, the, the micro-collection series, uh, at least for the sets that were produced. So um, another uh, Princess Leia figure. There were two different ones uh, for the the Death Star, two different uh, poses at least, and uh, everybody's sporting a, a rifle or you know a, a laser gun. So, um, but yeah, and then as as with most of these playsets, you've got a lot of fill in figures, you have got a lot of of just uh, stormtroopers that are in different poses, and um, it's interesting. A lot a lot of guys don't really know this when they were developing these lines they didn't really have uh, an assignment just yet which stormtroopers or rebel soldiers would go with which playset so uh they had a, a kind of a rough idea because they had done some early renderings of the the figures and what they had intended to use but the, there were some alterations along the way and they actually swapped out some some different uh figures from one playset to another uh believing that those would would suit that uh uh, that given set a little bit better. You're right, actually. Look, looking at the figures,
3: every single one of them's in a in quite an aggressive pose with their weapon up. Or yeah, yeah, they they're all quite cool, aren't they? They're um. It's
0: kind of like the Galactic Heroes line again. We're talking, you know, this was developed in the early '80s, and well, Galactic Heroes didn't come along for another, you know, almost 20 years or so. So. Yeah. But all of those, you know, sporting a, a laser gun or a lightsaber or uh, so this was sort of like in, in some ways, in my opinion, is kind of a precursor for a lot of different lines, not just uh, the the Lewis Galoob, uh micro machines. So, yeah. So, so, yeah, moving on, um, you know, the Death Star Escape. Honestly, I think this is probably one of the, the more generic sets. It doesn't really do a whole lot. It's, it's got a cannon that I think is really cool. Uh, tooling wise, the, the, the cannon looks very similar to the, the cannon that was used for the three and three quarter inch, uh, death star playset, which I think is kind of cool, but yeah, it's basically just like three platforms and there's like a little, a little swinging rope. They call <laughs> they call it, it isn't much of a feature. You, you can kind of put the figures in there and they just sort of dangle. So, um. But it had some interesting figures to it nonetheless. Uh that's a I, I really uh I really liked that um the pose of Chewbacca uh from that, that set. Uh, I think a lot of collectors would agree. And and this is really the only appearance that we get of Luke Farmboy, um, which I you know, that's a that's a pretty uh, interesting... they they never produced enough sets to get to any of the other Star Wars themed play sets. So this is really the only uh if you're Luke Farmboy. Focus collector. This would be the one to have. And uh, no, again, another Vader, and you got another uh, Princess Leia, and then some other stormtroopers again, in various poses. And you know, th- it's probably worth noting at this point. There's several of these poses. Everybody's they kind of have their their own. Uh, description of you know like the disco low bot and some of these poses are kind of ridiculous i think after a while the employees kind of thought well we haven't done this now let's try this you know it's like well this looks kind of silly it's like ah let's just do it anyway so
3: (laughs) so so that brings us on to death star world now these sets Mm -hmm. came out you could you could buy them combined
0: they all come in the same box you can buy them individually and combined so i would as far as the collecting market is concerned, from what I can see, regardless of what the internal paperwork had stated, I I do not believe that there were as many Death Star play sets produced as there were Empire. I think they they kind of went a little more heavy-handed on Empire because that was we're talking nineteen eighty-two. So this is two years after Empire Strikes Back. So I, wow. I I think that there was they there was a lower number of death star playsets, and that that's that's strictly going off of what i have seen over the years especially with the individually packed trash compactor and death star world the worlds in general are, dif- are relatively difficult to find in good condition there you're you might see something that would that classify as like a an afa 80 turn up maybe again i, I don't follow this market that closely when it comes to boxed examples because i'm i'm so um involved in the pre-production but you would probably only find like maybe uh, an 80 afa 85 or excuse me cas uh, uh, 85 maybe turn up once every three or four years uh, it's it's very very rare and, and these were pretty big boxes I mean, it, these even though the, these were micro-sized playsets. I mean, we're talking the world playsets. They, they they had a, a good size to them, so so keeping them in good condition was difficult. And you know, they were jumping in and out of discount bins. the the um, The best, the most ideal uh, collecting circumstance would, would be to find them having been uh, case fresh, which several of those had turned up uh, right around in the late 90s early 2000s but to my knowledge there was never any worlds that had ever turned up in uh, in good condition uh, or um case fresh what kind of um cost were these when they were originally released uh almost everything was under 20 dollars. the worlds were a little i think those retailed for around 30 again i have all of these numbers recorded uh, for upcoming publications and um but y- you're you're looking at you know the thirty35 dollars for a world uh, individual place that's ranged from the original retail price I think for m- many of the smallest was about 799 same case with the the vehicles the the x-wing and and uh, tie fighters those were you know 799 999 respectively and uh, freeze chamber probably around fifteen dollars many of these still have the original price tags on them uh, some of them have been heavily discounted down so that there's it's 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 kind of difficult to find, especially something like a a Sears uh, Millennium Falcon. To, you know, some guys don't like the price tags. I cherish that price tag because it's a Sears price tag that was not discounted at nineteen ninety nine. I think that's wonderfully historic, and I love that price tag on my boxed example. So, uh, yeah, you're 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 looking anywhere between seven ninety nine and thirty five dollars retail.
3: That that to me sounds like another reason it may have been short lived. Because for the sort of money you're talking there, you can you could have picked up some of the three and three quarter inch exactly. vehicles and stuff and sure. I can see a parent picking up a an X Wing toy to go with their figures over a, a micro collection set. I can
0: And even as much as I love the line, I will be honest with you, in those days, the moment that I saw Job of the Hutt, that's all I wanted. <laughs> I I would have gone after that any day of the week. Uh, In fact, I probably did choose that over micro collection, especially uh, once some of the larger vehicles came out and the Imperial shuttle and some of those. There's there's just no way I would have. And again, I I think I, I guess I don't know if this has ever been discussed before, but just the fact that, like I had mentioned earlier, these these were like two years out from Empire. There wasn't any Jedi that's why I think that if the line had ex- had had gone on, progressed at least until Toy Fair, and they could have seen some of the the models that were getting ready to to come out, once they saw some of those Jedi sets, I think it may have changed their minds. And from a marketing standpoint, I probably would have built some kind of incentive into the line by stating, you know, you're gonna get this exclusive Jedi playset. This is the first of its kind and and this is how you get if if they had made Jabba's Palace the first piece, that would have that would that would have been a game changer in my opinion. Everybody would have clamored over that that item. So they could have done with that.
1: Let's get out of here, Han Solo. Careful, Star-Walker.
2: Introducing Death Star World, two playsets in one. New from Star Wars Micro Collection Line. 14 diecast figures and action poses included.
1: Death Star Escape has an elevator and a cannon that explodes. Wow, it connects to the Death Star compactor. It's you and me, Ben Kenobi. Watch this. Oh, no. The wall. Run for it.
2: Made it. Death Star World from Star Wars Micro Collection Line. Play sets also sold separately. Figures included. New
3: from Kenner. Moving on to Hoth now, some, some of my favorite sets here, I think, because of the figures. Yeah. The Hoff Hoth Cave. Let's start with this, because I think, <laughs> I think this is brilliant.
0: Oh, yeah. I think I owned two of these growing up. Yeah, th- what, a, what a great set. Um, the, the, the play set itself, there's not a whole lot to speak of. I think originally this set was, go- was, it was planned to be just a little bit larger than what... I think they, they started sectioning off some of the other sets... And had it, they ultimately decided to just go with just a real small uh, plastic base for this it, with uh, one feature, basically. You know, you got your the ProBot, but the figures for this particular playset, you know, the, these are some of the absolute... This is probably the best uh, small set in the entire series. I mean, you got that gigantic Wampa Monster and chewy han and luke you know you've got three key principal uh characters and then that really cool Probot. so it was this thing kind was packed so the, the Probot's plastic isn't it yeah it, it has, actually has one uh zinc piece it's the, the the disc on the the inside is is actually uh right metal yeah and then the the other the the head and the the legs are cast in uh resin is that purely do you think Because of the weight and trying to get it to... Uh, Probably. I mean, they probably could have done it in plastic. But, you know, we're talking about an era where they didn't cut any corners. You're just going to get a a much better casting in... uh, I I really don't know. I mean, you bring up a good point. That may be very well why they did it. It was just sort of uh, for the weight. I never really heard... There's there's not really been any pre-production materials turn up with that. I've never heard of any employee that worked on that particular figure so i really don't know i think if you compare that with the three and three quarter inch figure the probot that went to the the three and three quarter inch playset, they look pretty similar so it would not surprise me if the tooling was uh duplicated and just shrunk down so and and Pardon me. I, I probably should have gone through some of that early, early on when we were talking about the pre-production, the, the the four up, and and what exactly is tolling. What you know, what what am I referring to with that? That's a, a a term that they use for the vendor when when these items will go to the tolling facility. So, and I can kind of walk you through that. Quickly, you know, since it, it's, it's brought up at this point, because I actually do want to talk about that a little bit later with the, uh, the vehicles. So that's a, kind of an interesting uh, topic. But when they had these, these four-ups and they were, they were casting this urethane, they were sent to a facility, uh, a vendor who actually made a negative uh, cavity, you know, from, from these hard copies. So this, this negative cavity was, it was like a, a porcelain kind of material. Uh, it was actually said that they were. It was actually made from Dynacast as well, and there was a, a machine that was used in those days called a pantograph. These guys that that operated these machines, there were very few of them that were. I mean, it was just a real art form. You know, they they were more engravers than they were anything. They were they they could do really fine detail, and they could polish these molds out. These guys created cavities that went. Uh, uh that were ultimately used for the the production molds so the the machine the pantograph would downsize these from the uh four to one ratio scale down to one to one and then that's what they cast all of the zinc figures uh into so when it came to other projects such as the probot i i don't know this for a fact this is just what i suspect and if you take the micro collection robot and you compare it up against the three and three quarter inch, you'll notice there's a lot of similarities. So my guess is that they probably use the same tooling in that same, somewhat of the same method. They may have made a, a hard copy from the three and three quarter inch. They may have taken some of the detail off or added some, and then just repurposed that, that particular fit, because, you know, that it wasn't a, it was just more cost effective to go that route. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I I do know that that was the case with the the Millennium Falcon. If you the Millennium Falcon the micro collection up against three th- three and three quarter inch, it's basically the same details. A little bit a little bit more than a footnote, but there you go. <laughs> yeah
3: where were we up to so the turret defense was next on the uh on the list um
0: yeah i i really liked this set growing up as well i mean this is this is the one where you get luke on a tauntaun this time around and i don't really remember that uh sequence in the movie where he's wielding a gun but just a fun figure and i i I like the uh the rebel troopers in this one notably because they all have backpacks and that's kind of a, a neat little addition from those that were seen in the uh, ion cannon so uh yeah it's pretty pretty cool play set and uh you know you had the the two exploding turrets that's that's one place that i could never find growing up I, I saw it in the catalog could never find it at retail and i don't know for what reason i just uh and i can't even say that it was in low numbers i, I just never could find it the rebel
3: soldiers kind of remind me of the old plastic toy soldiers you know that- yeah you handed yeah. down their poses: the crawling one, one on a knee, one with binoculars. They're yep. very, uh, very typical of that kind of toy range as well, aren't they? they
0: yeah, are it wouldn't cool. surprise me if they used them as inspiration. Uh, the next one, the generator attack. Oh yeah, the most imperial of all the uh, micro line. <laughs> <laughs> very, very cool. I, uh, I, I love the snow troopers, of course. When you're talking vehicles in the line, everybody kind of forgets and overlooks that this playset came with a vehicle. Uh, and I, I'll tell you, this was the playset that I wanted. Uh, it, the second that I saw it, I, 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 I can't say that this was what hooked me into the line, but it certainly was a contributing factor. The, the exploding uh, generators and then the exploding ATST walker, so cool. And then six figures included, just a really, really cool playset. I'm quite surprised on the box art of this, the
3: front box art, that not more's made of the Scout Walker because it's kind of in the background in the picture, and then mm-hmm. in small black writing, it's got the Scout Walker vehicle included. But <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised they haven't put it up where the figures in that are to really Man. emphasize. You get it because it's a real selling point in there. You're right, and that exploded, didn't it? Which was yeah, just a great, great piece of a
0: yeah. The, I believe there were there were two different versions of that i think the earlier ones the the head kind of just fell apart and then they later i think they put a pin on the inside that kind of held the head together uh but i always liked the you know how the head kind of fell apart you know and and exploded so to speak so and it's always interesting you know with some of these it's 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 anyone's guess which which one of the snow troopers was actually the the pilot of the atst or the you know, the the the, op, the driver because <laughs> they're all wielding a gun i guess he he the in in the picture uh on the uh the front of the box he's sort of depicted shooting out of it so still very cool uh, yeah. item
3: and the five hof stormtroopers just it's great that they are uh, kind of army built in these sets isn't it rather than just one it's uh it's nice and then rounding off the hof sets then was the ion cannon
0: a neat playset. that i I'll, I'll be honest this is probably my least favorite of all of the hoff it's takes up a lot of room and it doesn't really do a whole <laughs> I mean, that's just my personal opinion very uh, very cool sculpting work uh it was based off of the uh, uh ralph Macquarie pre-production artwork that he uh he had uh painted up so uh that's and if you compare that up against it that's I actually I think I used that when I uh I created the banner for the Facebook page. The all of the inspiration for this place that was, was based off of that. Yeah, it's a big old piece of plastic and the coolest thing about it, I and mean, I remember playing with the uh the, the blast door for the front uh growing up was just pretty neat, but it's it's very heavy with uh rebel soldiers and you know, you got you know the Han Solo. Uh I, I think that pose is really cool on the uh the Tauntaun. But yeah, uh, and then one probably my most favorite uh, uh, Princess Leia figures in the entire group. Okay. And um, of course, it's worth noting that there's two uh, variations to that uh, that Princess Leia figure, which has become kind of infamous these days. The the two finger uh, Princess Leia versus the the full hand, and why they changed that it's anybody's guess. It's, it probably had something to do with safety. If you can find one with two fingers, then you're probably looking at a $50 figure. So it's pretty Mm. cool.
3: It's quite interesting. There's quite a few variations, really, considering how long it
0: lasted as well, how many things they changed. But probably one of the, the, I would say one of the more notable, just sort of a footnote, is that Luke Skywalker, I believe, was intended for uh, another place that that was, uh, like I had said before, I I believe that that, uh, the the Wampa Cave was originally intended to be a, a larger. A little bit of a larger playset that was that Luke was at least con- preconceived to be included in the Wampa cave. If memory serves me correctly, it's been a while since I've looked into some of those uh, those old notes, but very cool pose. Interesting, and obviously Hoffeld must have
3: been a massive old set with those. That was of-
0: that was the biggest of them all. I I remember actually owning that at one time, and it was so big. I I just didn't have not sure i mean i I think it was i mean it, it was at least the length of the uh the ad walker or atat some of your listeners may may call it <laughs> but uh it was a big yeah it was a big place set but big and uh bulky and uh i'm gonna throw a lot of little footnotes out as i'm Thinking of it, there's there's been a misconception over the years with the white boxed examples uh, that the worlds had uh, encased in them. Notably, Hoth uh, world and Death Star. Um, Death Star world had a Death Star escape that actually had the print on it. And they there's been several people who have speculated that that was a mailer. Could have eventually been used as overstock in a mail order scenario, but that was not how it was intended. It was intended to be uh, in that form for the the, uh, the world playset, as was the generator attack for Death Star, or for, uh, excuse me, for Hothworld. And again, it says Hoth generator attack on it, and it's just a white box that fit inside. Those were those were not intended as mail orders initially. And what we speculate is that there was just overstock, and then it was used for mail orders. But I've also seen, and I own, uh, mail order uh, items through Sears and JCPenney, and um, they, they look very uh, much like production. They just had a big, giant shipping label attached to the side— sort of like this plastic twine wrapped up on it. So just an interesting footnote for, for those who are, you know, looking for every example. Um, now, again, I, I, will stand corrected if somebody can find one of the white boxes and it actually has the shipping box that, uh, that accompanies it. And, you know, they can verify they had that as a kid. Well, that's great. I'd love to see it, but uh, I see those listed all the time, just white boxes and they call them mail aways and that's, that's that's not exactly what those were intended for. That that's how they came packaged, prepackaged in the world play sets. Right. That's fascinating. Uh-huh.
3: Absolutely fascinating. There's me who just thought it was a little run of red boxes. <laughs> There's uh, uh-huh. quite a bit to it, isn't there?
0: Well, you know, when someone's trying to put together an entire run, it's it's good to know these things. I I've had several people argue with me over and that's that's fine. They they swear that they they ordered it that way. But then, for somebody else who's saying, "Do I need it?" And I, you know, not unless you're, you're putting together, you're you're putting together an example of the world playset, and you want it inside. You, it's not necessarily part of that subsequent line. It, at least that was not the way that it was intended.
1: It's Wampa cave. Luke's inside. We better get him out. guard! Wumpa!
0: Introducing Hoth World,
2: Three playsets in one. New from Star Wars Micro Collection line. 19 diecast figures and action poses included.
1: Wow, they're small enough to fit in one hand. Yeah! Pow! So much for Probot Spy. It's safe, Chewie. Arr, arr! We can get back to Hoth Iron Cannon. Hey, it connects to Hoth Wumpa Cave. Han's here! Close blast doors. Raise Rebel Soldier in Observation Town. Empire's approaching, Princess Leia. Activate iron cannon. They're bombarding our base. Quick, connect to the half generator attack. Vader's headed in with Scout Walker and stormtroopers. Scout Walker's hit, sir. Aim for the generators, man. Good work. The world of Hoth is ours! Yeah. Hoth
2: world from Star Wars micro collection line playsets also sold separately. Figures included. New from Kenner.
3: Right then, so we move on to Bespin. Obviously known as Bespin world, the three the three sets that made this up, and we had the yeah. The Bespin Control Room.
0: Yeah, the Bespin is my absolute favorite of the entire micro collection line. Yeah, what a cool feature! <laughs> yeah, the four figures. I, uh, uh, you know, the two Lukes. Um, I, I just love that that Luke pointing the gun, and then the 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 Luke being, you know, kind of crouched over. This is where it starts to get collectors have different names for you know the the weird positions that some of them are in but you know i think it's a cool figure you know at least that feature growing up when i the first time i saw that the control room and what it did i for some reason that just i thought that that was spectacular Uh, launching him through the uh the broken window and then vader uh holding the lightsaber and and uh i'm just gonna repeat what the archive says about the other Vader, so as to <laughs> not getting into any trouble with the uh, Zig Hill Vader. So that
3: is <laughs> the first <laughs> thing you think of when you look at it, isn't it? Uh huh. Yeah, yeah.
0: It certainly is.
3: It's quite cool that they've done the same figures twice in each one in different poses, isn't it? Depending, yeah, on how on give that. it
0: give it some variety. I mean, some of them were repurposed actually when they were sculpting them out and getting them ready for tooling. That was certainly the case with this next playset, the uh, the gantry. Probably the most famous figure of the entire line is the, uh, the Luke lunging with lightsaber. That was the first one that was pitched with, uh, or one of the first, with the, uh, the actual prototype uh, Rao Partha figures that was conceived, and um, that figure was repurposed for the control room with luke pointing the gun so that was uh sculpted up and then they made a casting of it and they made a second casting broke the arm off and re-sculpted the arm and just changed some of the details around with the base but it's it's basically the same same figure just just moving the arms and if you once you see it and you put them next to each other you you never unsee it yeah it's it's yeah, basically no. the same the same character the gantry of the three yeah i would say this is probably one of, i i actually i had three or four of these growing up uh this is probably one of the weaker of the play sets i always wanted to see that what kind of a place that can you really make out of of that sequence other than you know a, sort of a lightsaber duel but i always wanted to see that the gantry extended out a little longer and maybe some more detail on it but um i think that's some cool figure i mean it 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 arguably has has the coolest figure included which is the darth vader with the flowing cape that is just such a such a gorgeous uh and and you know if anybody's unfamiliar they want to know more about what four ups are and all that you you got to check out the uh the star wars uh collector's archive and and see uh the run that that uh gus lopez put together for that particular figure that is that is a gorgeous gorgeous figure gorgeous sculpting by a a gentleman named bill lemon that uh, was a contractor he sculpted in uh, a a material called acetate absolute master of engraving and uh and sculpting so um, that's that's a very very cool figure to see i think you're right
3: and then from probably the coolest figure i'm gonna put it out there and say the coolest set because this is a Oh, yeah. We come to the last one, and this kind of makes the best spin sets, kind of pulls them all together. This yeah. is the um, the freeze chamber.
0: That was my absolute favorite growing up. I mean, it has everybody in it. And, of course, uh, I, I always loved that sequence. I know it's not much of an action sequence per se, but it, it certainly is the sort of the, the, the paradigm shifts at that point, doesn't it? You know, an empire where the, the empire finally won. Or so it felt. <laughs> yeah. You know, they captured Han. They finally caught up to the rebels, and now they're going to use him as bait. So, anyways, uh, that feature I think is just brilliant. I loved playing with that growing up. The unfrozen Han, and then freezing him in carbonite—such a neat, a neat feature. You know, so, how does the... that
3: actually work? Because I think once you describe this, I think mm-hmm. everyone will want a best bin. This is going to put the price up. Right? <laughs> <It> <laughs> because probably this is will, so I, clever. I,
0: they they've never they've never released one now i i think they they did a, a fairly good attempt i mean, i know i i could probably catch some flack for saying this but cuz a lot of guys really didn't like the the power of the jedi version i loved that i thought that, that was for what it was it was it was a pretty neat concept you know um but uh, no one's ever been able to duplicate <laughs> the the micro collection version so basically what what it is you you've got a platform that two figures are attached to it, facing away from one another. So that that platform is attached to a rod that goes up the center. And when you put the figures down into the chamber portion and you spin it around, the unfrozen Han is hidden up in the back Panel of the playset that actually holds the the top sort of canopy over the playset, and up comes the the frozen Han and Carbonite. It it just looks like a magic trick. It's so cool, and you can unfreeze it. Just leave them on the platform and do it over again. And it it'll if you get a, a really good example that's not been overly played with, it actually locks when you put it into position. But such a cool feature, and um, yeah, they they've never been able to. To duplicate the a, a successful freezing feature on a toy quite like the Micro Collection, very very clever. Some of the other the, some of the other features, I, I don't really know if you would call them features or not. It's I think uh, I think uh, Ron Salvatore did a write up uh, in his archive entry on the, the stair his, the, his favorite part of the place. That's the staircase that goes nowhere. <laughs> when so. you
3: attach the other two playsets, it doesn't it doesn't attach to one of them then the stairs uh, they are just randomly it's, closed
0: it, them. it's it sort of does well we're we're also talking about a point which we're going to get into here in a little bit uh they didn't know how far they were going to extend the line out so they were kind of episodic screenwriters in a way it's like well we'll figure that out later (laughs) you know maybe we'll develop another play set and it will eventually go somewhere and they probably would have i mean if you think about bespin being multi-layered you've got all these you you could you could make it you know several different platforms they were on elevators throughout that those sequences in empire i don't think that that it's out of question that eventually there would have been a a multi-level play set that would have attached into the the freeze chamber again we're going to get to it here in a little bit but i i think the the, the set that would have really pulled all of it together is the one that, that never made it into to production always been one of my absolute favorite sets and pre-production items for that particular set are highly sought after the figures that came with this as well you got eight figures
3: in this uh-huh. it also contains some great figures it's it's the only time we see boba fett, Bob fett. Um, of course oh yeah and, um, and lobot yeah, doing something from Saturday Night Fever. And sure, the disco. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's on it, and yeah. So just the figures and, and Lando obviously as well. Sure, so there and I you know I, again
0: I I think that the the Darth Vader pose in this I mean that's yeah. I think that's incredible. I mean it's just Darth Vader is one of those silhouettes that it doesn't require a whole lot of really no description whatsoever. It's just it has it's it's very pronounced. So I I really like that pose. Uh, even though he's doing nothing, it looks like he's doing something. Yeah, love that uh, that set.
1: I've waited a long time for this, Luke Skywalker. Ready, Darth Vader. Together we'll rule the galaxy.
2: Introducing Bespin World, new from Star Wars Micro Collection line. 16 diecast figures and action poses included. It's three play sets in one.
1: Here's Bespin Gantry. Darth Vader's doing it out with Luke and Cloud City. Gee, all four of these figures in one hand. Yeah, they're really tiny. I'll connect Gantry to Bespin Control Room. Watch what happens to Luke. Wow! Look at the Alliance are really done for this time. But there's lots more action in Bespin Freeze Chamber. Hey, digest figures. Activate Bespin Freeze Chamber. He's frozen solid. I bet Bubba Fett can't wait. where a cargo? But Lando's up to escape hatch. He'll save fall. Boy, hey, he better move fast. He will, but for now i will snap in the Freeze Chamber. So it's the whole world of Bespin. Yeah.
2: Despin World from Star Wars Micro Collection line. Playsets also sold separately. Figures included. New from
3: Keller. Let's move on to the vehicles. So we, we had four vehicles. First up, Snowspeeder. You've already told us that it was a JC exclusive. With that being an exclusive to JC I I take it this wasn't found in Australia or Canada.
0: There were there were examples that have surfaced. Now for the one that the one that ended up over in Australia was actually the packaging for the US 1983 release, which had no mail-away offer on the back. So in other words, if the the line had continued and it was successful, that that particular packaging, which had already been produced in the United States for the United States, post-January 31st, which is when the offer had expired, that would have ended up, being used here so it was repurposed for australia off the top of my head it's not registering whether or not that was released in canada i don't think that it was um and i believe it was never released exclusively to australia like the other play sets and vehicles um with save the millennium falcon I don't think that one was either in Australia. I believe that at least with a a mail away Australian uh, address for where you send your, your proofs of purchase for the the mail away figures. So I think those two, and of course we'll get to that when we talk about the Falcon. I don't, uh, I don't believe that, that those had exclusive Australian. I don't think (laughs) I, I could, I could be, I could be wrong. I somebody, you know, may can can correct me on that again i i have never gotten into the the foreign items so much it's no. it for me it's just always been the just specifically the x-wing and the the tie fighter runs which i collect those are the ones i've always been after so i i know exactly which one of those are are available this being exclusive i i am assuming this is one of the harder sets to get i now it's coming back to me there was uh i uh, there was australian versions of the uh the snowspeeder i apologize i now that i I think about i i I do remember that there was like two different versions and one of them um was the us 83 with no offer and then one with an offer they're that rare that i just don't know anything about them When, when you say rare how
3: how often would will you find one of these come up for sale
0: oh my goodness some of these examples one One might pop up every decade. One might pop up every twenty years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when
3: when when people talk about grails and they come out with things which are readily available, these these kind of things really are hard to find. And
0: sure, and and there's no way of knowing how many of them were made. It's not like it's not like you know when you have an item that actually went to retail, it that really is the white whale because you don't know how many were produced. How you know. When it when it comes to pre-production, you we, we have a pretty good idea because we know what some of the uh, vendor requirements were for, for especially for like a or something like that. We know that they made at least five. And then a lot of the items that have made it, their way onto the, the collecting market were just bad pours and they have holes in them or air bubbles. But when you're talking production items, <laughs> anyone can attest to that It's anybody's guess. One might just pop up one day. We don't know. Because these aren't in the possession of former Kenner employees or Black Hole, you know. uh, Well, they might be in a Black Hole collection, but, you know, sometimes stuff just pops up out of nowhere at random. You just never know. There may be a whole box of something somewhere, and then it'll just flood the market and the value will drop significantly. But the further you get away from the original release, you know, now, now we're looking 40 years later, the likelihood of something brand new showing up, Case Fresh or somebody forgot about in their basement the likelihood's starting to shrink so I, at least i i can just attest for the 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 one item that i'm looking for the x-wing special offer with the, the large burst that has the dramatic crash feature i i know that two of those exist so and that's all i can verify and i don't know where the other one ended up i know I had someone email me about one of, uh, about that specific example last week, and they asked me what the value would be, and I I had to take pause for a moment. I'm like, why do you have one? And I told them what the last one sold for, and that's that's all I have as as a frame of reference. It's anybody's guess at the, that point, you know, what someone's willing to pay. So the Tie Fighter is next. I found this quite
3: interesting on the archive. I are saying that these seems it last, but the archive have got this. Um... Uh, first issued with a, a circular inset, but then this, it, this shows that there was three reissues with changes to the box. So quite a lot of variety when it comes to this
0: ship. Yeah, they uh, they upgraded all of the the vehicles with the dramatic crash feature. They I guess they thought that would drum up business a little bit. So the the next wave that came out after the uh, in, initial run, which by the way it was. Early on in development, they had considered actually showing the figure through a little piece of cellophane and with some uh, vacuum-formed plastic holding the figure, so you could actually see it. Which I thought that, that would have been a really cool idea. Yeah, but uh, that's where that that idea came from, and they just eventually just printed it onto the box. So yeah, they did that variation after the fact. And actually, what the 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 vehicle did the the crash feature, I really liked the original the the, the micro collection. TIE Fighter because, for one thing, it was the first screen accurate, you know, just just in, in terms of proportions, and then the, the color. So uh, it had that really nice blue color, which they didn't... Now, I know the actual model in the 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 film they they changed that over time because they were using blue screen in those days and i i read a little thing that you know the original ones were more white in in color and they progressively got more bluish as time went on i think that when they by the time the jedi came out and they did the tie interceptor they went full-on blue i always really liked that uh the the micro collection version because it just sort of captured the the actual look yeah, you know, it's just a, a neat little thing. That, that, of course, it had the crash feature included with it. it sort of spring-activated switch on the back. Uh, one of the former designers was explaining uh, to me that uh, he he got that idea from you know those old Mickey Mouse characters when you you push on it's like spring loaded in the middle and it just falls apart into pieces and then you let it extend and then it all goes back together at the same time it sort of has like a drawstring on the inside that that pulls the arms and the the leg and the head out that's what they based the micro collection off of uh, at least the vehicle crash features so they had all these wires on the inside that, that would push the crash feature out and then it you could fix it right back and I thought that that those were fantastic because you could hold them in your hand and have little dog fights around your house and again, I could never find the vehicles growing up that those were that was the the probably the most the the pieces that I was most interested in locating uh, as an adult collector
3: and the x wing you you've mentioned it quite a few times now, very similar to yeah. the tie fighter with the with the types of box crash feature, and everything it's sure it's all in the same sort of um, setup isn't it with a great yeah. x-wing pilot
0: yeah it included one figure and um that's my favorite x-wing i think it's uh, just a neat model it's kind of interesting i i said this once before i as a kid i was always looking for these items so and i never could find them i was always looking for the ones in the catalog and everything and um actually own one of the prototypes that was used on the, that was used on the front of the box for the dramatic crash feature that I was able to pick up in a deal about 10 years ago. And um, so that was, um, that was a neat piece that I was able to acquire through yeah, uh, nice. Tom, Tom Derby, and he I think he got it from – or he, he, he definitely got it from Kim Simmons, so able to trace the origin all the way back. And it's got photo-printed decals that are hand-cut, and there's all these molding differences between the prototype and the production example. Yeah, so, yeah. Fun.
1: Imperial TIE Fighter, attack! X-Wing, to face! I'm in for a dogfight! Imperial
2: TIE Fighter, and X-Wing fighter, new from Star Wars Micro Collection line, each sold separately.
1: He's in my sight! God, I've been hit! I'm crashing! They're built for heavy battle action. They go right back together again. And each ship comes with a die-cast figure. The sky is where we belong!
2: Imperial TIE Fighter, and X-Wing fighter, from Star Wars Micro Collection line, each
0: sold separately. Figures included, new from Kenner.
3: Now... We come on to the Millennium Falcon.
0: Um, oh yeah, which is away. arguably a playset itself. Yes, I mean, what a so, what a what a cool vehicle! This was only available <laughs> via Sears, was it? It was only available through Sears for Christmas 1982. So um, thereafter, anyone could place an order through any other retail chain, but. Micro Collection just wasn't proving to be, it just didn't garner enough interest. So whether or not any of those orders were made, it's anybody's guess. I know some of those ended up making it over to Australia. And, uh, oh, actually, I think whether or not they were producing them themselves over there, what a cool uh, vehicle. I I just wish there were more figures. I I really would have loved to have seen uh, a Princess Leia figure included with that. You know, of course you have the injured luke and uh lando which is is nice and another chewbacca and uh, of course two arguably two of the coolest figures in the entire micro collection line r2d2 and c3po and uh very cool to, for those to uh, be included with it as well so and another crouching han sort of investment fatigue so it is it is a great set isn't it i just yeah and I, I like it a little bit more than the three and three quarter inch. I mean, of course, everybody's got that special place in their heart for the three and three quarter inch. But by the time they got to the micro collection line, it was becoming a little bit more to scale, which I think was really the idea behind its its development. There's a misconception that Kenner folks didn't like this line. They that On the contrary, they absolutely loved working on this line. The model shop employees loved it. The sculptors especially loved it. Because they, you know, the sculptors at that time, they, they really didn't like sort of these, these poses of the three that they were ordered to, to create, you know, even some of those guys that were creating the sort of slouching character, just to give them just a little bit of a personality. They, they were scolded for that. And, uh, but with the micro collection, it was, man, they were able to do fine art. So they loved those poses. They, and so they went kind of wild with, with some of that and, uh, they all wanted to see this be successful and rightfully so they're beautifully made. And they're again, they're more to scale. They were able to pack more features in, but, uh, it's said by Hasbro playsets don't sell. So whether that's, that's true or not, at least that was what I was told. I'm aware that the, the Falcons are very, very expensive
3: piece to, to acquire. I can remember. Um, yeah. One being for sale, at uh, a father's from event about three years ago. And, um, Someone picked it up, and I know, I know it, was, it was expensive then. I'm going to put you on the spot. So we've just had 16 sets. What kind of figure would you be looking at to put all 16 sets together in decent condition, complete and boxed? Not sealed, but, you know, what do you reckon it would now cost you?
0: Yeah, I th- think you could probably put everything together a little less than a thousand i think you could probably it, it again it's it's going to it's going to vary dramatically depending on the the condition of vehicles in place such as the tie fighter uh, very very difficult to find that box in good condition the flap is always because the flap extends about the length of the box very difficult to find this without that big crease on the back very difficult to find uh even some of the the more affordable place that's like the gantry and the wampa cave again you there's that that crease on the back's very difficult to find those, but yeah, you could probably put a a, a decent run together for around a thousand dollars I would say now i I haven't followed the market as closely as I once did um so I may be way off on that estimation but a falcon itself is going to take up almost half of that. You, those are are selling pretty well, uh, even for loose examples. They're becoming harder and harder to get a hold of. So, like a minty loose condition for that, I think I saw one here not, not too long ago, selling for about two fifty. I mean, I've even seen just the figures themselves sell for seventy five dollars that are still bagged. Uh, which the, when I saw that, that just blew my mind. Yeah, the the vehicles are going to take up a good chunk of that um of course the snowspeeder rarely rarely ever comes up boxed i would even go as far as to say that i've seen fewer boxed snowspeeder examples than i have of falcons i just you just never see those man if you can find a graded example at like an 85 i would say that thing would probably fetch upward 600 650 something like that Uh, Again, I'm no Pete Fitzky when it comes to like doing a market watch, so I I, I don't uh, I don't I don't watch it like a hawk. But I certainly do notice when examples like those come up, and it just uh, other than just sort of the, the the common that that turn up regularly, I, I, I've rarely ever seen any really good examples of uh, snow speeders and tie fighters. So I keep a pretty close watch on that. I have a really nice falcon so i i I don't watch that one very often you know i I do my usual ebay searches and of course i I keep keep track of what's going on uh on facebook uh, marketplace and if i can ever find it i usually make a mental note of it if if there's an example that i'm looking for um, i might pick it up but honestly i haven't i haven't been able to find anything that's in decent condition for it's been a, a a very long time. It took it took me I'll, just to to give you an idea. I think it took me the better part of twelve years just to find a sealed version of the snow speeder Wow. Well, I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, We're talking. There are not many out there. If <laughs> you yeah. can find and buy them, I mean, kudos. If you got it, keep it. There's very, very, very few of those examples exist. And obviously,
3: we've uh, we've touched on it a couple of times, but. There was a, a Mallaway offer called Build Your Armies, which, which is great to see. So you could army yeah. build. What was this offer? How how could you take up this offer? What was included, et cetera, et cetera?
0: Yeah, they, they included uh, – there were six figures. There was three rebel soldiers and three snow troopers. I mean, right up there with what I think is some of the best figures that were ever included with the line was the – The one included with the mail away, which the, the laser tripod snow trooper, I mean, that thing is just, that's just really cool. They had another idea initially. I believe there was, there was, or there was originally going to be eight figures, I believe with that, uh, mail away. And then they decided on the tripod and they eliminated two. I think they, they ended up including the other rebel soldier with another set. So anyways, um, so yeah, the the I, I believe it was the three UPC proofs of pur- purchases that you'd send in, and then they would send you this mail away. Pretty cool for the, the those days um, to get something exclusive like that. And that, that offer extended out until originally it was December the thirty first, uh, nineteen eighty two, and they extended it an extra month. And uh, and that that actually this is where you get into kind of bleed over from one uh, one part of the hobby to another, they actually were <laughs> using those mail away figures as apology, uh, gifts for the emperor. I think that they had done, you know, another mail away for the uh, emperor. And when they, they couldn't get those out distributed on time, they ended up sending out these, uh, micro collection figures as a, as an apology. So yeah, that was a very cool, uh, little group, uh, you know you, you got three extra imperial figures and then three uh rebel poses that went along with it and that i thought that those the sculptings for those were magnificent very cool they don't have a playset set to to go with but and they yeah. fit right along with all the others so yeah exactly it's star Wars micro collection
1: line with death star world hot world lesson world and vehicles each hold separately here are six diecast level soldiers and stormtroopers, not available in stores. You can get them free for two-person purchase in any places or vehicles in the Star Wars Micro Collection line. Details on specially marked packages in participating stores. offline January 31st, 1983. Offer from Star Wars Micro Collection line. Places also sold separately, figures included. New from Kenner.
0: The other mailer that they had available at... Uh, right about the same time they had a lot of access micro collection figures and they were trying to figure out what to do with them the line had failed they ended up uh, doing a, a giveaway f- uh, through uh, c-3pos and uh, so that was uh, i don't know if you remember the rebel rocket uh, that, that came with one uh, it, it was sort of like a sort of like a little pop gun almost you would put it together and just, the end of it would would pop off. It had a, like a, a little decal on it, C 3 C-3PO. Well, inside of that, that little toy uh, was uh, an offer for micro-collection figures. And that was just another distribution channel to, to kind of l- get rid of some of the, the access figures. And as late as the, the I, I think, right around 1987, 1988, they were still handing micro-collection figures out uh, down at Disney World for uh, Star Tours. As a thank you, it was just, I mean, so we're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of micro-collection figures that they didn't know what to do with. And there was some talk, at, you know, around that time of maybe using them for game pieces, and... There was, there was no other kind of miners? Uh, not, not that were released. There was another in, in, uh, in, pro- in pre-production that was going to be released with Jedi, but uh as far as as that's concerned especially if we're talking like play sets as i was mentioning earlier there's been a misconception that some of those were mail mail in offers through department stores but those were actually included with the worlds so you see those in 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 large quantities the Death Star escape play set is is the most uh infamous of these it's always listed as a mail away or mailer and when, in fact, it's just overstocked that was included with the Death Star World, and that's how it came packaged. The rest of it was in a cardboard insert. And you can always see it because it, it always has that, that script on the outside that actually – the, the title, Death Star Escape. So. Yeah, because I've seen a lot of them, actually. You know you're saying? Yeah. That. Yeah. yeah, you could probably – you you probably pick one up on eBay right now. I I, I see those. I've seen those at just about every toy shop that I've, I've been to in the last, just about every time in the last 20 years. And I see at least two or three at every uh, local toy, uh, toy show here in the Cincinnati area. So uh, I bet you they're, um, avatars as mailers quite often, aren't they? Because um, the yeah, they the, I, I don't know if that was offered in Tomarts like some of the other items, but I don't know if anybody, uh, subscribed to uh, the back in the day, but, And, uh, uh, let's see, what was the other one? Um, uh, Lee's toy review (laughs) those, uh, back in the days when we like actually bought printed material. I love that stuff. But if you bought a year subscription, they would send you like a C-3PO's dismembered or, you know, a salacious crumb. (laughs) This, this ranks, ranks right up there with, uh, the, the many millions of salacious crumbs and, uh, dismembered, uh, uh, C-3PO uh, bagged examples that are floating around out there. So it was the Death Star Escape playset.
3: Moving on to, we, we've mentioned them several times tonight, the the unproduced playsets. There was two that were, were clearly quite far into production. Um, yeah. The Torture Chamber and the Bacta Chamber. Just sure. how far were they into production? How close they were, were these to
0: being released? They were ready to go. They had the tooling completed for both of those playset's. Those sets in particular, I've done ex- extensive research on, and I, I spoke with every employee that worked on them, and even some of the vendors that were working on that line when it was canceled. Now, I, I do, I have seen the 1983 Toy Fair showroom uh, layout for Kenner, and both of those playsets were included with that uh, that release for. That was at least the first quarter of 1983 that those were going to be released. So they were, they were that close. But also included in all of that, and that was depicted in that diagram, was the Slave One vehicle, which we know uh, a prototype has, has uh, surfaced of that playset. Three playsets for Jabba's palace. So, really? As many as that? There was three. I've actually seen pictures of the uh, throne and the Rancor pit that went underneath. And, uh, and then there was uh, Dagobah, which was, uh, that was actually, Dagobah was one of the first that was conceived for the line, and they ended up pushing that back in production to the end of the line. That was going to be released in 1983, so those would going to be Dagobah World. And then there was an additional playset to the Death Star playsets, which is the Death Star, Death Star Throne Room, and that was um, f- part of the Return of the Jedi series. Yeah, it was going to be – there was going to be quite a few items uh, make an appearance, and uh, it's probably worth noting at this point since we're on that subject of unproduced. The micro-collection was not exclusive just to Star Wars. They had intended to do a micro-collection for Indiana Jones and for Superpowers, so they were actually looking at micro-collection as extending to um, several different lines uh, upon its its successful run with Star Wars, which – and you know, it was the initial pitch. And uh, had that been successful, we would have seen a Well of Souls play set. Uh, I, if you're a member of the, the micro-collection group, one of the uh, the moderators, a good friend of mine, Bill Byers, he has the original concept artwork for the uh, Havito's Temple. Um, I actually spoke with a former employee. He said we sculpted that play set. I remember that working. Yeah, there was, he said, it, it worked. Uh, there was a, a, a large boulder that that ran through it, just like an old marble maze. And he was able to ex- explain this playset in great detail. And up until that artwork came out, we we didn't even know what it looked like. That would have been really cool. <laughs> it been a really cool line. Would've so, been, yeah. but uh, more specifically, when you're asking about uh, the the torture chamber and the back to chamber, we can run through. Those figures and some of the, the features uh, for those uh, play sets, uh, if you like. Well, there was going to be some cool figures, wasn't there? I mean, yeah,
3: let's take the, the torture chamber first. Um, mm-hmm. There's some real fresh,
0: fresh figures in there. Yeah. And isn't this a, a strange idea for a, a play set? <laughs> I mean, can you yeah. I, I can only imagine a five year old mom? Can you get me the torture chamber? <laughs> <You> know, like <laughs> what? I mean, I never thought of it that way. As an adult collector, I'm like, I, you know, when I first learned about the uh, the torture chamber, I was uh, I was I was still a young buck. I had just uh, I think I was my freshman year in college, which is uh, I had gotten on the computer and a buddy of mine found the archive and there it is. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've never seen this. And you couldn't see it at that time because there was only like one picture of it. I'm like, what does this thing look like, you know? And uh, lo and behold, uh, the, the the gentleman that that originated from. Tom Nyheisel, he only lived about ten miles from my parents' house at the time. So, and I got to know him years later. I could have seen it, but it had already been sold by that time. But man, what a what a cool what a cool playset with some very cool uh, figures. So um, we can go through each of these, and uh, I guess probably the one of the bigger questions that's on everybody's mind is how many of each example exists and what what are you looking to pay for each of those it's very very sparse i mean that when you're getting into unproduced toys this it, it gets in and, and micro collection seems to have quite a few there was a lot of stuff in development and even though there was a lot of items in development it's it's created quite a catalog of of items that they were going to add you know, to the, the micro-series line, but the availability of the items is in very small numbers, if that makes sense. So yeah. you're seeing a very expansive, aggressive uh, expansion of the line, and luckily some of it was documented, some of it was not. But then, on the other hand, there's very few examples that have remained from from those. But one of the, the more, I, I guess you could say, readily available are a few of the unproduced figures for the torture chamber. There was six, I guess I could probably start with the most common up to the most difficult to locate. So Chewbacca is, you know, by and large, one of the easier figures to locate. And, um, I know of a woman who, um, was a, a toy dealer here in the area and she had indicated that she found upward 400 examples of those. So that was what flooded the market back in the day. It was, it was four or 500 examples. There were several. So she, she had found those at her yard sale. And she had one up on eBay every week after everyone would sell for almost a decade. I mean, it was, it was kind of crazy. I, I think I paid $10 for my first example, 10 or 12, 12 bucks. And uh, and I bought the C3PO in the set with with what I had purchased. So I would say that's probably the second most common. That and the Ugnot. I think those two would probably tie at this point. There were quite a quite a few C3POs for a time. And this is the the C3PO. Very cool. It just looks like a little gold nugget or a little nugget. I mean, most of them the, the, you're not going to find a, a painted or vac metallized example. But it just looks like a little nugget with. Uh, And it's depicting C-3PO dismembered, and it would fit into a a little plastic backpack that fit on the back of Chewbacca, that figure, which had a recess and and a little pin that the backpack would fit into. The backpack is virtually impossible to find. I found my example about 17 years ago, and uh, I, I just got lucky that that came from... Oh, it was a well-known collector here in the area. He and I were good friends at the time. Uh, named Bill Wills, and uh, of course, uh, if anybody doesn't know, Cantina Collectibles—they watch the—they do a little little show as well. So, anyways, uh, I, I was able to pick it up from him. He had he'd gotten it from a, a former employee that that uh, dealt in uh, vendor relations, and they they got uh, like a lot of the samples that came back from uh, overseas. Very few examples of that. I think there's only like four. Four or five, pla- I think four four plastic examples that have surfaced, and I think there are th- three squeezings. So we can touch on what a squeezing is here in a little bit. I just realized we haven't covered that. <laughs> so yeah, very few, so less than less than seven eight examples exist of the backpack, and then uh, the black Bespin guard, and there's a, a Han Solo and the white Bespin guard. So. The crouching Bespin guard is—I want to say—one of the more common. At one time, you could get it fairly easily. Now they're becoming increasingly hard to find because collectors are trying to put together those sets. Very difficult to to track down the uh, the standing Bespin guard. There's very very few. I would say that that's actually the the most uh, difficult next to the completed FX7 and the Hoth back to chamber set. The most difficult of all the uh, micro collection figures to find. And these are all unpainted, by the way, none of these are, these are not, uh, you're, you're, you're probably not going to find any painted examples at this point. Um, most of the, the ones that exist were all hand painted internally at uh, Kenner and uh, served as uh one-to-one paint masters for photography. And uh, I think there's, as far as I know, there are only two completed sets and there's, there's a few painted pieces, just random pieces, uh, out in the collecting market. Uh, I I almost had an entire torture chamber run at one point, save the Han Solo and shackles. I think there's only two of those, the hand painted that exist. Uh, I know another collector was trying to track down that one to complete his set. Uh, so yeah, we're we're talking. This is this is where it really gets scarce. So, and there was some paint samples that came back from the, the vendor, and there was, there was a little bit of uh, debate on whether or not those were production colors. I, I don't believe those were production colors because of the dates uh, on the, uh, the vendor paperwork. Um, there, was about a, there was a handful of the, the two different variations of the, the Bestman guards, and th- they did uh, like three or four different paint samples, masking sa- uh, t- test samples. And they had like a white tube, you know for the detail, whereas the the production was ultimately gonna have gold and then as far as the playset set itself it's got it, it was packed full of really cool features that had a spring loaded door on the front that clicked into place and uh, you re- release the door it swings through and there was a, a breakaway door on the back side that was uh, had like a an arm that extended from. That door in a, a little pin kind of worked like a almost like a little carousel on the inside of the torture chamber, the, the bottom part of the platform. So it spun around with like a coil spring and this little pin hit that arm on the back of that door. And it it was it was kind of marketed as uh, a blow away door. No sooner did they get the, the, our, the our rebel friends get captured than they made their narrow escape through the back door. The furnace incinerator worked like a magic trick. It was, that was such a cool feature. This was a little bit more difficult to explain. You, you, it had like a conveyor unit and you could put a figure into sort of the, the the conveyor was kind of like this, this little plastic piece that had an open area on the back. Okay. And you could put a figure in it and it would actually push the figure underneath this trap door that would raise and then fall and the figure would fall through, through the bottom of the set. There was a hole that actually went through. And, uh, when you would crank the, the conveyor back out, the figure would disappear. <laughs> it was a very cool feature. And of course you had the torture rack on the top and then the spring or the, uh, sort of a, uh, just a, a door on the way through, but man, for a, a set that's that small, it was just completely packed with, with features. So yeah.
3: and it, it's it's much the same as well, isn't it? The um the back to chamber is full of
0: full of quite a lot of features as well, isn't it? So Yeah, that one that one went through several different alterations. The original idea for that that playset was that it was supposed to I don't know if you if you remember back in those days, those little bottles that went with baby dolls that had like this liquid in it when you would turn it upside down, it looked like it the, the liquid would disappear. That's kind of the idea. with with the first version of the play set. Uh, the big problem that they had was there was an accordion style pump on the inside of, of the play set. So you can't really, you can't put pressure on an item with, with pre, if there's no, nowhere for the air to escape. And I don't want to get too technical. If if anybody can imagine sort of where where I'm going with this, you can't pump something back and forth with that vacuum going through a, just a very small tube what ended up happening when with this first uh, mechanical drawing uh, at least when they made samples of the set it it exploded so they had this this pre-packaged blue fluid that was supposed to kind of suck in and out of the the chamber and the, the the liquid never touched the figure so it was sort of a cavity that was inside of that that chamber unit you could put the figure down and it had the perceived uh appearance that it was filling up around the figure. Very cool. But uh, idea, yeah. Uh, yeah, so so they, they did an, an alteration of that and they ended up putting a little water reservoir in the back so you would actually put the water in yourself. And uh, they ended up using a screw pump on the inside. So it would um, kind of worked almost like a fish tank in a way. You know, the, the, the hose would dump the water into the chamber by... Really sucking it into the chamber, and uh, when you would release that valve, and then when you would continue turning it, it would pull it up into the the computer module area. So, which is where the screw pump was. Now, I don't know as far as like getting the water out. It was it was pretty much what you put in there. It stayed in. You know, I know at least one of the the version the um, the models that had turned up. The original owner, I spoke with him and he said, I, I put water in it. And I never took water out of it. He said, I just sort of left it in there. So I would imagine that it may have, the, the chamber may have come with some sort of a water dye, um, because it would just would have looked really cool. Uh, yeah, I know at least in early photography for the, 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 hand-built model, it actually had uh blue liquid in the chamber. So, um, that's, that, that might have been what they were going to do. I, I actually have the, um, packaging proof for that. It doesn't mention that, but uh, it would look cool with blue water in it nonetheless. So, but that's, that's how that place that worked. And it had a uh, big, uh, the, the crane arm that placed Luke down into the chamber and then it extended over and you could put him down into the, the medical bed with that bed moved up and down. And then there was a, like a scanner that went along with that. Again, it was it was packed with all kinds of features and, and this set was super tiny it was it was really it was no bigger than the uh, the Vespin gantry so by comparison you can see how much how far that they had come in development of features and just they were really getting their feet wet with uh, by that point with the, the micro collection they were they were going they were coming up with some just really ingenious ideas yeah very small set only came with four figures and again you had the the Luke. They call it the Luke and Diaper, which I would say is probably the Luke and the 21B probably the more common of the two. Uh, I know there, there's quite a few collectors looking for the Luke right now, but the, the C-3PO, it's kind of hard to tell. Between C-3PO and Luke, I would say those two are, are probably right in the middle as far as the, the rarity. I don't know if I could put these in a in a specific order. I think the two one B is probably by, the most common, and the FX seven is by far the the most difficult to find. Finding uh, an example with all of the arms, I think there's fewer than twenty examples of those that exist. There's a few out there, but very difficult to to locate. So uh, again, I, I I try to track these as as closely as I can. The prices have fluctuated dramatically over the last decade, therefore, there for ten years or so they were they were pretty pretty much they were relative in price uh, they were some of them were like fifty bucks every time that they would go up at auction or they were being sold and the f x seven at that time was selling for around two hundred and fifty dollars until about ten years ago, and then all of a sudden it's <laughs> i mean just finding an f x seven now I think the last one sold for a little under two thousand in less than 30 seconds that it was posted very there's a lot lot more interest now very difficult to find
3: going back you you were talking about the jedi ones i take it these were just concepts and some of the figures exist though don't they there's early in the pre-production lines
0: yeah there's there was just uh sculptings done at four up scale they never as far as i know to date there's there's no evidence that any of these were created at one-to-one scale or the the size of the the actual micro collection. So nearly all of the figures are accounted for with the exception of the Rancor monster. That one was destroyed. I do know that. So that one, uh, that one didn't survive the uh, sculpting department at uh, Kenner. They, they reused that, that wax. They didn't want to, but a junior sculptor, (laughs) Mm -hmm. he took a hammer after it and started using the, the uh, wax for it while uh, another sculptor scolded him and said, <laughs> we spent thousands of dollars making that, that sculpting. What are you doing? Uh, but uh, yeah, that again, you could. a lot of these are, are showcased on the archive. I don't know that they've made a comprehensive list in recent years for these. I don't think that they have some of that stuff was going to come out in publications that we were working on in the future. So there was uh, there were quite a few figures and I, I could, probably named them off the top of my head. I know with the Jabba Dungeon, that was gonna have the uh, uh a gamorian guard that was uh FX seven or oh, no sorry E V ninety nine getting my droids yeah. mixed up the Gonk Droid and Chewbacca so those just four four sets or four uh, figures for that set then uh I believe there was ten included with the throne room so of course that was the one with Jabba the hut Various creatures but one of the the coolest uh, aspects of of that was going to be a a frozen and unfrozen han carbonite feature that would have a an unfrozen han that would be ejected from the wall and a uh, trap door for, for Luke Skywalker to fall through to face off with the rancor monster that would have been in my opinion that would have been one of the the absolute finest playsets of the micro collection line yeah. alongside of uh, the uh Death Star throne room playset. So uh, that's you know, two emperors, in, included with that, uh, Luke Scott. I think two different. There's one, one or two different poses of uh, Luke Skywalker, and uh, that was going to have an Imperial soldier, Imperial commander, and then I think it had three or four different uh, different guards, uh, Imperial guards. So that would have been. I think that. Appearance-wise, that would have been just a very striking playset, red figures against a grey uh, background, and that, that would have had some, some great features to it as well. I don't really want to talk about the features that were included in that particular playset, no, um, yeah. So, uh, but uh, yeah, very cool. The, the Dagobahs playset, mm-hmm. uh, the Yoda
3: figure, when I came across was quite a fascinating-looking uh, figure did look quite yoda-ish to me well it does look like yoda because he's a thing that <laughs> he's a i don't know he looks he looks old i suppose he is old <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> forget me yeah kind of uh i don't know really know what i'm trying to say but yeah the which figure...
0: which which figures have you uh come across are you talking so about concept the figures or the... they
3: were the sculpting and the uh the four up hardcore okay yeah yeah.
0: yeah some of those weren't uh there were a few of those that were finished there were a few that were unfinished. There's some of them that are, are actually not listed on the archive, but there were several Yoda figures to be included with the set, at least four. And one of them was, uh, I don't believe the sculpting was, was finally tuned, which was Yoda on Luke's back. And, uh, but that was, that was one of the, the cool, I think coolest would have been one of the coolest figures included. That was actually a concept figure. Uh, when they originally pitched uh pitched the line uh, early on um that that would be included um at least it was in the the uh concept artwork as well and then probably the finest of all of the the Yoda figures is uh if if you look on the archive you can actually see the 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 uh tooling master for um Yoda standing on a log using the force it would have been very cool um and actually that playset um, again, I spoke with another former employee who worked on that, and the he said that the reason that they had halted production on that is because they were trying to figure out a way around using so much foam. And he, the and we're talking about an era where they uh, they were concerned about what parents and the consumer thought about you know what their kids were playing with, and they they said. Parents, we we we've halted, you know, like kind of held up production on this because we're afraid that parents are going to be upset that this foam is getting into their carpet. <laughs> so one of the 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 playsets that connects into the uh, the the Dagobah world was going to it, it was basically a large piece of foam that was going to have a depression built into it where you could put the X wing fighter down into, and then there would be a lever to pull. Raise up the X-wing from the Dagobah foam or the swamp. Um, it would have been very neat, um, but they were trying to figure out a work around with that, and they couldn't come up with very many good uh, strategies, uh, for lack of better words, so um, on how to work around that. So uh, it, but but that was going to be released, and I think it probably would have, at least from what I have seen in concept renderings and the early examples of the place that they may have just left that depression for you, for, you know, a child to just put water in and just pretend it's a swamp. I, I really don't know where it would have gone. I, I do know it didn't get very far into production because they had, they had shelved that idea, that concept, and then they pulled it back out and it was to be released in 1983. So, and it may have just been that first place set and not the entire world when it was, originally uh going to make an appearance at uh, toy fair but i do know one of one of the models was made specifically for toy fair and i'm not sure if that exists or not uh any longer I, i've not seen any evidence of it being in the collector uh, collector's market but
3: uh fascinating stuff it's a mm-hmm. could have been a a real fascinating line if it had just had a few more legs and yeah. A lot more support yeah it's uh like you say they were they were clearly enjoying uh the sculpting and when you see how much stuff they'd planned it's they, they were on on board with it weren't they the designers but
0: yeah, i think they had a real good time with it they liked uh experimenting with maybe what they couldn't do with three and three quarter, but the, a lot of these guys that were working on, they were also working on strawberry shortcake at the time and care bears and other they had other projects going on so there was multiple departments that were working on these. It's just for the, for the few that I, – I would say there's one specific employee that really championed the line. He really, really liked it, and he's still a sculptor uh, today and an uh, in, in industrial designer. He actually worked as a designer at Kenner, uh, a fellow by the name of Jan Vandermeer, and he, he really enjoyed that line. He just liked miniature scale. Uh, like myself, You know, he, he was a, a, a train enthusiast. I always liked in scale uh, train layouts and uh, and he collects some of that, that same stuff so uh, some similar interests but he was really into championing that line and uh, another gentleman that, that passed away several almost 30 years ago now, um, both of those guys were really into it they wanted to see it continue and they they both said they were very disappointed that the line was cancelled and more were not produced so it just sort of came and went One thing there
3: is a lot of I say a lot in the grand scheme of things is the pre-production items. Now you've you're to it you're very heavily into the pre-productions of these you know, of this collectible. What can you tell me about the pre-production items? Because this is a, a, a blank area for me. I browse the archive and I see so much stuff. Right. Can you kind of condense down the pre-productions? I know that's a massively wide open <laughs> question.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll first say anybody who's wanting to get into pre-production, if they want to get into pre-production micro, I I'm not going to, you know, if if that's what they want to try to go after that's, that's great. The, uh, I would, pr- if, if I were somebody starting out today, I'd probably try and just put together a set of unpainted figures. Most guys have been able to successfully put together, uh, a, uh, an unpainted set in, you know, around a year, little under a year's time. Um, the unproduced figures, the only thing that I can say, and I, I've tried to explain to collectors who are fervently trying to locate this example or that, that example, j- just be patient. You're, you're going to have to be patient because there's no way of knowing how many are out there. It's b- becoming a more popular line now than it ever was. Very difficult to get a hold of some of these examples, and you just have to wait until one pops up. I mean, there's There are items I'm still waiting on, and I've learned to just be patient with some of that, and some of them I might not ever find. Four-ups, that's probably the next item that is on everyone's list that they'll start with. I just want one example, any example, and, that, and I, I always say that's a great attitude to have because when one comes up, grab it no matter what it is, once you start to get real specific, I want this example, or I'd like to have this character. That's where it gets a little difficult. Now, if you're going to like really delve into collecting this stuff, get something someone else wants and try and work out a trade. I mean, that's really the only way to kind of get things moving around, trying to, to find something that is just available that might most stuff does not come up for sale uh, very often we've We've had a little bit of movement as of late, probably due to covid so so some collectors are willing to to move some items around, but a four up and maybe a mold if you could put together you know a hard copy and a mold um it'll set you back so again it, I'm not going to judge anybody's wallet if you want to spend the money it's you, you could probably find something again you got to be patient with this this sort of thing they're not just going to pop up. Not exactly what you're looking for, in, uh, anyways. Uh, but over over time, if if you're wanting, say like a Han Solo four up with a mold, it's going to take a while. Just just be you got to be ready. You got to have the money ready to go, and you or or the trade item. But waiting on someone to sell something, some mo- most of the time just doesn't happen. The other area is you know much like the three and three quarter inches, the two D materials. Upon rare rare occasion, you will see a proof sheet pop up or or maybe uh, a box flat the, very rarely do those ever I because I the those most of those all came from two different sources, Tom Nhiizel and Steve Denny and uh, there's just not very many of them out there. I think maybe three four proof examples per playset and then the Chrome ones per playset. I think there's probably three maybe examples of the Chrome ones per playset. And some of them are, you know, the different versions. I think there's only a couple multiples of some of those. So it looks like there's a lot, but as far as it coming up and and readily available, paint samples, hand-painted examples that were done internally for one-to-one scale figures, that would probably be a a real good area to start uh, for the the novice collector. And then uh, the uh, squeezings. So... um, as far as like condensing it that down, I I, I don't know. <laughs> it's there's an awful lot. I mean, there's some stuff that I know guys have been waiting twenty thirty years to get their hands on. Literally, they're they're just gonna keep waiting. It's hard. It's hard telling if any of that stuff will ever turn up. So, all the
3: all the things like the silicon molds and that that are still available. Do these all just come from Kenner employees,
0: the designers. No one. Some represents. of some of them. Most of this stuff. To be honest, a lot of the the pre-production items for tooling samples and silicon molds, those those came from outside vendors that worked on the line. There's been, you know, a couple se- several different individuals who have scouted out the both Kenner employees and have gotten leads on the vendors that worked alongside Kenner that did contract work, and that's where a lot of the hard copies came from and uh I know f- For a fact that the molds themselves, most of them, there's been a couple. I don't want to say a couple. There's been more than a couple, but a lot of those have gone through private sales in the last five years. uh, Were sourced from former Kinder employees, but the the molds that existed from you know early 2000 until fairly recently, those all came from an outside vendor that uh, created all the the molds for uh, making hard copies for tenor they just outsourced this stuff and they told him just pitch all this stuff when you're done with it and he hung on to it only because he had intended to make a, a large size chess board out of these because he just thought they were so cool that was the only reason he hung on to the micro collection silicon molds
3: <laughs> i'll bet he's glad he did now
0: oh yeah <laughs> well I mean, we're talking twenty years ago. So. Yes, yeah, yeah, but he, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he made off pretty well, and I mean, certainly, I his only intention. Well, he didn't even think they were worth anything. But uh, fortunately for us, you know, these these guys went out uh, and they they were able to uh, work out a deal with them and then get them onto the collecting market. And at that time, there were several collectors that were interested in the line. There was quite a bit of uh, of a buzz for anything pre production. So if somebody wanted like a Luke Skywalker. Really, all that was available at that point, pre-production wise, other than like a three and three-quarter inch first shot, or maybe you could get a hold of a hard copy, some parts for three and three-quarter inch figures, was to go for the the micro collection. By that at that time, you know there was quite a few tooling masters uh, four-ups that were available, as well as uh, some paint masters as well. So. Um, is there
3: anything else you wanted to to bring up with regards to the micro collection?
0: <laughs> I, think we, I think we we pretty just... much yeah. <laughs> covered yeah. on just about all of it. I hope hopefully uh, you know if anybody like I, I just I I, I really uh, I like open discussions. So if anybody you know they they want to know more about the the set sets that were uh, you know produced or even unproduced, uh, feel free to drop a line there on the. The Facebook group, uh, I, all those guys they love open discussions. Check out that group, and uh, you know I'm always uh, interested to to see what uh, what guys are collecting or what uh, what they uh, what they like about the line. Yeah,
3: I, I highly recommend that Facebook group. I'll make sure there's a um, a link to it in the bio to this show. Thank um,
0: you very much.
3: But yeah, Ken of Star Wars Micro Collection and Diecast. If anyone's uh, uh, looking for it. Great places to go to go and search for the micro collection. We've already mentioned the SWCA. Obviously, that's yeah. a that's a banker.
0: You've yeah, and all the all the all the yeah all the same guys that that collect the line. They're in the Facebook group. So uh, yeah. anything you're going to see on the archive, the, those guys are are members there. So yeah, again, if anybody has any questions? And then I, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but yes, Gus and Duncan did a a, a book on the micro collection about uh, five years ago. So also a it pretty is there. resource there. So, yeah. yeah.
3: Josh, just before I close out, thank you ever so much for coming on. It's it's so much easier when you hear someone's that got that passion and that expertise in it, you know, <laughs> there, there was nothing you, you just run with it. And, uh, it's, it's good to get proper information rather than, uh, us kind of the host of our show, just trying to <laughs> get it as, but, uh, it's, sure. it's been a real pleasure to have you on mate. and really do appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you having me. It's uh, been a lot of fun. Sorry for keeping you for so long, it's, uh, it's not no, quite late. It's, it's it all good, you? man. <laughs> no, well, it's it's probably it's later for you than it is for me. But uh, no, it's uh, it's. Uh, I was going to say this at the beginning. It's it's always good to come on a podcast and actually talk about micro collection. Every time I it seems like every time I get a call to be on one of these, it's about a different topic. So, uh, I like, really, you don't want to talk about micro collection with me? Like, <laughs> no, we want to talk about this exhibition that you were a part of. It's like, ah. Oh. yeah that's cool but i'd rather talk about (laughs) micro yeah
3: no it's been a it's been a real pleasure to have you on mate thank you ever so much
0: i appreciate it man thank you for having me you have learned much young one impressive
1: most
3: impressive Uh, be sure to check out generation skywalker on facebook instagram and twitter where we make updates about what we've spoken about all the time and uh, you'll also get updates on anything we've recorded Uh, enhanced versions of our shows are over on youtube and check out www.generationskywalker.com where we have links to all our shows all our enhanced shows plus some blog so that is it for diecast part two uh, part three which will be coming soon is all about west end games and that is a complete mind blank to me so looking forward to delving into that topic but for this show it is goodbye and we are generation skywalker